Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Amen. Thank you, men. Reminding us about the Almighty Father that we have. It's been the theme today. And men, don't forget, on your way out, if you're a dad, since we're in Georgia, we decided not to give you a blue carnation, but a little bit of a uh, barbecue sauce as you leave. Amen. Just one bottle per dad, please. And maybe next year, if you're good, we'll throw in the brisket. All right. It's great to have you here. We try to think of creative things to get uh, dads excited, but we want to give you a gift. We gave moms a little bit of a gift as they were celebrating Mother's Day uh, just a few uh, weeks ago. The title this morning is Like Father, Not Like Son. And I'm not going to announce the text quite yet. I do want to give you a little bit of a who am I quiz before we turn to the text, so hang in there. Um, I like the story. Uh, about the family who really wanted a dog. I don't know if you've ever been through that with your kids, but they begged their parents for a puppy. We want a dog. We want a puppy. So they kept on begging, kept on asking mom and dad for a puppy. Finally, uh, mom agreed, but mom told them, I know that I will be the one ending up taking care of this thing. I'm going to be the one. You're going to forget. You're going to get tired of the dog. And it's going to be all on me. But the children promised to care for the dog till death and dog them do part. And so finally they wore mom down and they bought a puppy and they named it Danny Boy. Danny, of course, for short, time passed and just as mother had prophesied, right? The kids became less interested in the daily care for the puppy. The dog grew and all the responsibility fell to her. So she finally decided to find a new home for Danny. She told the kids about it. She said this, Danny has to go. And when she announced that, she was quite amazed that the kids' response was pretty mild. One of them said with a little shrug, well, we'll miss him. Yes, mom said, uh, we will miss him, but he is just too much work for one person. And since I'm the one person doing all the work, I say he goes. One child protested a little bit. Well, if he wouldn't eat so much and wouldn't be so messy, could we keep him a little longer? Mom held her ground. No, it's time to take Danny to his new home. Then, with one voice and tearful outrage, the kids reacted, Danny, we thought you said daddy. (laughs) After being gone eight days to the Dominican Republic, I, I feel the pain I think, uh, uh, I don't know that I was missed. Now, when mom leaves, yes, we all miss mom. But I'm telling you what, we wonder sometimes as dad, what what is our worth? I'm glad God calls us to lead the home. That we should never let someone else take over that role that God intended for us. Now, I've got a a quick sermon today um, about a man who was nothing like his father. It's generally true that a, that a person tends to follow the example of their parents. But I'm going to ask the who am I question as I begin to give you some hints about 
the, the text and the person, the character of our focus this morning. You probably know my father, speaking of course, as the one in the scriptures here. My daddy was one of the most noble of all the kings of Judah. During my father's reign, there was a great revival in Judah. The reading of scriptures and true worship were restored. In my father's reign, he brought back the feast days and temple worship. He even invited the ten northern tribes to come to Jerusalem to worship. Who am I? I had a great dad. Raise your hand if you had a great dad. (laughs) It's kind of a trick question, isn't it? Yeah, I did too. My daddy's in heaven. Well, this man that I'm speaking of had a wonderful spiritual father. My father, he would go on to say, was more acclaimed and commended than any other ruler or king in Judah except for David himself. He built a 1,700-foot underground canal, tunnel, that led water from a spring far away, the Gihon Spring, all the way to southern Jerusalem, the Siloam Pool. My father, speaking for our character that is unnamed yet, My father was surrounded once by 185,000 Assyrians who wrote him a mean and nasty letter. And what my father did is he spread that letter out and he says, Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are upon you. That was my dad. God sent one angel that night who destroyed all the Assyrians, one angel destroyed 185,000 Assyrians. I'll never forget that story. That was my dad. I had a great dad. When my father got sick towards the end of his life, he had the courage to ask God to spare his life, to give him more time, and God gave my dad 15 more years. And I was born in the third year of the the extension of my daddy's life. I was born during his borrowed time. I did not follow the Lord like Daddy did, but soon I became notoriously wicked. I was not like my Daddy. My parents named me forgetting because they thought that I would help them forget all the stress and the trouble that ministry and leading a kingdom brought them. So they named me, forgetting I was supposed to help them assuage the pains that came from leadership. I became a king when I was 12, but also became the troubler of Israel. I introduced more perversion than any other king. Who am I? Some of you know by now, I brought in the worst of all pagan cultures that I could find around me. I imported false gods, built shrines to idols all over Judah. I installed satanic forms of worship that included astrology, wizardry, human sacrifices, idols and groves, ritual prostitution, nature worship. I shed innocent blood. In fact, it's said of me in 2 Kings that I spread blood from one end of Jerusalem to the other end. That's me. I was not like my daddy. I persecuted the prophets, and to my credit or discredit, really, is the fact that I silenced one of the most articulate voices any prophet, of any prophet in Judah. I was the one who put Isaiah 
in a log and sawed him in half. I sacrificed some of my own children in the burning red-hot hands of Moloch, the fire and the flames, the valley of Hinnom. I defiled the temple itself by bringing in the most vile and profane images of Asherah and setting them up right inside the temple. The very temple my father had worked so hard to bring, uh, to bring reform to. My daddy brought the temple back to a place of vibrant, central place of worship. But I dispersed worship among all my idols and all the groves. Who am I? My name is Manasseh. And I am recorded in history as the worst king Judah ever had. I was not like my father. Proverbs 22, 6 tells us, right? If you train up a child in the way that he should go, when he's older, he should not depart from it. But that's a general principle. There are exceptions to that rule, and Manasseh was one of those exceptions. Take your Bibles this morning for a few moments together with me and study the Word of God. 2 Chronicles chapter 33. 2 Chronicles chapter 33. Maybe your dad this morning thinking, this has been a rough year for me. I have not been the example of integrity in my home that I should be. What could we learn from such a wicked king? Well, his resume, as I've already shared some of the details, is listed for us in 2 Chronicles, Chronicles chapter 33. It's also listed in 2 Kings 21. It starts out pretty, pretty badly, and you might be thinking, you know what, I don't know that, that the damage that I've caused in my home could ever be repaired. That mistake that keeps surfacing in my mind, or that, that thing that happened this year, and as a dad, I'm not proud of that. I wonder if my kids will ever rebound. I'm not a great dad. Well, I, t- I hope you take hope from the story of Manasseh. Let's begin reading again these details found for us here in Second Chronicles 33, verse 1. And we'll read through verse 10 to begin with. Manasseh was 12. Twelve years old, when he began to reign, and he reigned fifty and five, one of the longest reigns of any king. But he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he built again the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down. By the way, his mom's name was Hephzibah. Beautiful name. And he reared up these altars for Balaam, and made groves, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven, and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, whereof the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever, but he desecrated the honor of that place. He built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord, introducing idolatry to the very place where God was to be honored. He caused the children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. He observed times used enchantments, used witchcraft, and dealt with a familiar spirit and with wizards. Instead of seeking the Lord, he sought wisdom 
from the devil. He wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he set up a carved image, the idol which he had made in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen before all the tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever. Neither will I any more remove the foot of Israel from out of the land which I have appointed for your fathers, so that they will take heed to do all that I have commanded them according to the whole law, the statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. So Manasseh, here's an interesting verse, so Manasseh, because of his leadership or lack of it, made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err, to go astray, and to do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken or listen. One more verse, wherefore the Lord brought upon them captains of the host, the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him captive to Babylon, Nineveh area, same area. Train up a child, I thought, (laughs) moms and dads, you might be thinking, I thought that if we poured our life into this one child of ours, that that's that ironclad promise that they'll never depart or go astray. Not so with Manasseh, unlike his godly father, he went astray. This boy was wicked, rebellious, uh, really a murderous fool, born of godly parents. Again, Hezekiah and Hephzibah, her name means my delight is in her. What godly parents he had. Well, I see three statements of great hope. Whether you're a dad who hasn't done everything just right, certainly you might not measure up to the evil and the wickedness that was foisted upon the country by Manasseh, but I I see three statements of great hope for us, all of us, this morning in the text. First of all, I see this. I see that God spoke to Manasseh in spite of the way he was acting. Look at that, verse 10. You would think, wouldn't you, after all the evil shenanigans, all the strayings from God, all the perversity, all the uh, wicked uh, pursuing of these gods and bringing them into the very place of God's worship, the house of God's worship, you would think that verse 10, if you were writing the Bible in verse 10, what would you put down there? So God turned his back on Manasseh. That, if I, and I'm glad I wasn't, that's what I would put after the first nine verses. So, so in conclusion, right, Manasseh made Judah an inhabitant to err, to do worse than all the heathen, the Canaanites around them. And so the Lord took a big sledgehammer on the top of the head of Manasseh and just, no. Isn't it amazing that God is still speaking to sinners. Maybe you've blown it as a debt. Maybe you've done a, maybe you think about this, these things that you've done and you think, Lord, there's no hope for my family. There's irreparable damage and there's no hope. But listen, God still speaks to sinners. God, instead of just turning his back on Manasseh, spoke. How did, he, how did God do that? 
The text in 2 Kings tells us he sent prophets, Isaiah, among them, and God spoke directly to him. Do you know something? God is not done with us until we have turned our back completely on God, and life is over. Adrian Rogers, the great Baptist preacher, once said this, no one ever sins themselves beyond the love of God. No one ever sins themselves beyond the love of God. It's amazing to me that God would even give Manasseh any time or attention at all. But do you know he reigned for 55 years? God's patience always amazes me. God spoke to him. So God does not stop talking to sinners. That's really the first hopeful statement I see in this. God made, or excuse me, Manasseh made Judah to err, verse 9. He seduced them to do worse than the nations around them. And, and the Lord destroyed them through the, through the ministry of Moses and Joshua and David, Solomon, and even his own father, Hezekiah. Listen, if, if I were God, I would have turned my back on this man long time ago. And I love that little... In fact, in one of my Bibles, I underline this, and the Lord spake to Manasseh, Dad... How's your devotional life been? Dad, how's your life been with Christ lately? Dad, how's been your commitment to the church? Dad, how have you led your family? Dad, how about your private thought life? Dad, does God have every right and opportunity to wipe us out? Sure he does. Our sins are mounting many times, even the private ones that no one knows about. And I'm so thankful that God still pursues sinful heart. The Lord spake to Manasseh. I would have written these words, so the Lord spoke not. The Lord turned his shoulder, face away. The heavens became brass. Prayers hit the ceiling, but the Lord sent prophets. And by his servants, the prophets, 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 10, he spoke directly to him. He spoke to his conscience, and men, as the leaders of our, shepherds of our home, we need to be in contact with the voice of God, reading the Word. God is reaching out to you. God wants your heart. What is God saying to us? What was God saying to Manasseh? Saying this very same thing, if we're, if we're straying, we're wandering from the Lord, stop it, return to me. I've built the human heart, Dad, that you might be the leader spiritually. So come back to God. Thankful for the faithfulness of God when we're not faithful to Him. Turn away before it's too late. Oh, the love of God. How wide, how broad, how tall, how deep, how far. To run away Jonah, God sent a whale, a wind, a word, and finally a worm. God loves us, runaways. The worst and most miserable man of all is not the unsaved man who doesn't even know he's needing God. It's the man who's saved, knows he's out of fellowship with the Lord. Come back, come the gentle whispers of God to the soul. Come back to me, I've made your heart to be a worshiper. And Manasseh was anything but that. The first statement of hope then 
to me is that God pursues us in our sin. Secondly, I'm thankful that God sends us thorns to help us. God's talking to us, but God wants us men, especially today, to talk to Him. So what does God do to get our attention? What does God do to get us to talk to Him? Let's continue reading. Verse 11, Wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria. This is Esarhaddon of Assyria that came. Verse 11 again, And took Manasseh among the thorns, bound him with fetters, and carried him to Babylon. How good of God to get our attention in such a way that we cry out to him. Blessed pain, blessed persecution, blessed difficulty, blessed affliction. God sends to us when we're out of fellowship, even when we're in fellowship, God uses difficulty to bring us to speak to God again. And the word there, He sent, uh, he sent, uh, he sent took Manasseh among the thorns. There's a picture uh, on one of the obelisks there they found. It's a picture of the king of Assyria, this very king who's dragging the subservient kings, the kings that were captured back to Babylon with not only chains around their feet, but hooks through their lips. These thorns, this is probably a picture of this, this affliction that brought him from where he was reigning as the king in Jerusalem as a captive now in the prison house, can you imagine how painful, how humiliating it must have been to be led in a parade of the captives with hooks through your lips and chains on your feet and hands to a place where you're far away from home? That's humbling for a king. Well, the king of Judah, and there's historical evidence for this account, was humbled by these thorns, these hooks these chains that were put through the very lips of those he captured. This brings me hope. You say, how so, pastor? Well, why do we put rings in the noses of bulls? We do that because of their obstinance, and they're easily led then because of the pain of resistance. Farmers know that. God knows that. Dad, I know this is a tougher message today, probably a little more convicting, but do you know something? If we're not walking with the Lord, leading our families, often God will use that hook for us, the painful thorns. And see, we can fight against them, right? We can. Or we can see them as God's blessed ambassador to bring us back to Himself. Who will lead your family if you are not? God will not send an angel to your home. God will not send an angel to your home to open up the family Bible or your Bible and set it on your lap for your private devotions. He will not send an angel to lead your family, call them from all the four corners of your house in the evening where they're scattered and beyond, right? God will not. He wants you to do that. Eight times in Psalm 101, David said, I will. 
I will seek the Lord. I will prosecute the enemies. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I, David makes eight declarations of faithfulness. So I, as, a, as a leader in the country, as a leader in my family, I'm going to do that. Man, we cannot offload that responsibility to our wives. And here's a man called by God to be the king who was doing anything but leading spiritually. And God said, I'm going to put a hook through your lips. I'm going to put chains around. I'm going to bring you to a difficult place until you cry out for God. Affliction is the wonderful tool, painful tool that opens the eye of the rebel heart. It brings us to hope. When the child of God finally understands that these pains were brought to bring you closer, not to distance you from God, what a wonderful medicine pain is. He wants us back where we belong, near to the heart of God. If you are committed to disobedience as a family shepherd, understand God will do what's necessary to bring you back, to lead your family, to be a citizen of heaven such as God intended for you to be. You are either, if you're sold to sin like Manasseh, you are either headed for the woodshed soon or for hell itself. God will not be mocked. Mark it down. Hope begins then when we stop running away and start listening to God. They weren't listening in verse 10, not very well. They would not hearken. So God graciously, mercifully brings Manasseh to a difficult place. Fathers, why not run to Christ and run back to God if you're straying, if you've let go of some of these wonderful spiritual disciplines in your home? Why not run back to God before He has to take you away from the place God intended you to be? Well, the Lord brought the Assyrian captains, and they took Manasseh away from home, family, from the temple, from Judah, but very near to the heart of God, where at least for a while, Manasseh began to hear the voice of God, to listen. In affliction, the Bible tells us, he sought or besought the Lord his God, verse 12. And when he was in affliction, the Bible says, he besought the Lord and humbled, his, humbled himself greatly before the God of his. There's that theme we're looking at today, the God of his fathers. No such thing as perfect human fathers, but there is a perfect God who claims the title Father. And these who led him before, or were his ancestors' forebearers, were those who followed God. When he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God. What a, that's worth underlining in your Bible. And he humbled himself greatly before the God of his father's dad's father's. I cannot overemphasize the role of your leadership in your home. God designed it that you as dads lead in family worship. But it must be done in a spirit of humility. We were eight days in the Dominican, and there was a young man um, that is working alongside Ronnie Autry, one of the missionaries that, of course, we support. We were visiting. 
His name is Ethan, a name I could remember, and such a sweet-spirited young man. We asked Ethan to do so many things for us on the mission field. Run, get this. Run, get that. Pick up this tool. Get this product for us. We're out of this. We're out of nails. And so he would sweetly smile at us and take off on what usually took him two hours as a round trip to get anything and come back and we'd start, oh, and you forgot this, and off he would go. But always sweet-spirited. When he was in affliction, the Bible tells us, he, he besought the Lord, and whereas before he was proud, doing his own thing, now he was humbled, scarred up perhaps, his face scarred around the ankles, humiliated by this parade of shame. And there, in the prison house of Babylon, he cried out to God, I'm not the leader. Everybody thinks I am spiritually. Lord, I'm not near you. Would you forgive me? He humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And he prayed unto God. Daddy, are you in the habit Praying. And he begged God. Begged. He begged God. I don't like it here. It's not where I'm supposed to be in this old smelly dungeon house in Babylon. You made me. You, you purposed me to, to lead people. In Judah. And my heart is far from you. Dad, what are you begging God for? You begging God for a, a different president, a different job, circumstance, different family? What, what are you begging God for? Would you, God, make me what I ought to be as a leader? And he prayed to him, begged him. And God, amen, there's hope in this text. What is the hope? I'm not saying, men, that we're doing a horrible job as dads. I'm not saying you compare to Manasseh. But I'm saying, what I'm asking is, are you close to him as a leader? Here's the hope, right? That God hears sinners. And that God comes to sinners when sinners cry out to him. In affliction, he cries out for great mercy Surrounds this man with thorns. Who, the, the thorns cause him to pray. And he prays to God. A God that pursues us. A God who pains us and punishes us. He's the God that can bring us again the peace of heart that we need. How do you speak to God? I'm undone, Lord, by these thorns. I'm chained by my sins. I'm held by my captors. I'm in the prodigal's pig pen. I'm ready to come home. I'm the chief of sinners. Ah, but this is the powerful benefit of humility of heart. A repentant heart is the agency by which grace is born. God gives grace to the 
humbled. Verse 12, he humbled himself greatly. For the God of his fathers, who are in large measure now perfected in glory, and I think because of Hebrews eleven twelve, I think they are our cheerleaders, dads. The fathers who've gone before us, though imperfect, are cheering for us to be what we ought to be. And here we see again the fathers are mentioned greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him and entreated of him. He heard his supplication, brought him again to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh did something. He knew that the Lord, he was God. And after that, verse 14, he built a wall without the city of David on the west side of the Gihon Valley even to the entering of the fish gate, compassed about Ophel, and raised it up to a great height, put captains of war in all the fenced cities. He got busy doing what he should have been doing, took away the strange gods, the idols out of the house of the Lord, all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord, and in Jerusalem, and cast them out of the city. He repaired the altar of the Lord. Maybe, Dad... Maybe there's some altar repairing that needs to go on. Quietly, you have silently pushed God out of His place in your home. Oh, you said, I, I don't mean to do that, but sports came in and took away my time and other pursuits and money and success. And, and then, of course, the fish started biting and I had to go catch them. Then the neighbor called, and good things, all good things. He needed some work done, and little by little, we've set aside that family altar. And yet, with the snap of our fingers, on Sunday, the tie adjusted, we're here, and we expect God to listen to us to do for us all that we want Him to do, the God of our consumerism, the God of convenience, wants us to worship Him. He repaired. The altar. Excuse me. Daddy. It's up to you. Fathers, look at me. State of our country, state of our churches, state of our families, God expects us to do something about it. Quit walking past the rubble that you used to call the family altar and expect God to do great things. Let's repair 
and rebuild the altar. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have been so patient, not only with Manasseh, but with us. We're not, we don't claim to be the daddies and the fathers we ought to be, but Lord, we want to be. And I pray that today you would help us as dads to just commit ourselves again to the glorious pursuit of the heart of God. We know you're pursuing our heart. That's clear from scriptures. It is a tale of God pursuing the human heart. And you're calling us as men to be men, to prepare ourselves, to quit quit ourselves like men, 1 Corinthians 16, to prepare our hearts, to stand fast in the evil day. And Lord, so often we're swept away by the simple pleasures around us instead of really focused on what you called us to do and to be. How joyful a thing it is when you are worshipped as a central focus of our hearts. Heads bowed, no one's looking about. Perhaps there is even a mom or dad that would say, pray for me that I would again elevate God to a central place in my heart and life. I'm not where I need to be. And yes, God has sent some painful things. But I want to be where God wants me to be, spiritually. I want to return to Him, do the things, obey Him. The simple commands of worship, disciplines of devotion, prayer. Here's my hand. Pray for me, preacher. Pray for me. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.